every time you want to try and do something new or try and expand something, it requires the corporate equivalent of the piece of Westphalia of like, you got to get everybody involved. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I am Chris Lasacco, the president of Postlight. And today I have a very special guest on the show, Associate Director of Digital Strategy here at Postlight, Tate Foster. Tate, welcome. Happy to be here. Good. I'm very excited to talk to you because you are an interesting combination of strategist, product thinker, and experienced government operative. And I want you to talk about that a little bit, because what I want uh, the theme of today's show to be is building software in a public sector environment, in a government environment, and why it doesn't have to be hard. So first, let's start. Just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, what you've been doing, uh, both in the digital realm and in the public service realm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, so I actually started my career in politics. And then from there, basically worked in sort of every facet of it. I worked in local politics in lower Brooklyn and Queens in New York City. I worked in federal politics on Capitol Hill. I worked on campaign politics and state politics out in Washington State, and then worked uh, for a nonprofit that did uh, military and foreign policy, track two diplomacy uh, back here in New York. And that was mostly with Russia, China, the United States, and again, sort of tractor diplomacy, a little bit of military policy, a little AFPAC work, and a little bit of climate work. And it was at that point where I sort of had tried every facet of politics and decided to try something new. And that's sort of how my tech career started. I went to Bloomberg. I was on the editorial side for a hot minute and then basically was given an opportunity to move into the product side and you know, worked at, at Bloomberg in the product side, New York Magazine, and then actually went back into not public sector, but into politics, into into campaign tech. Did that for, for two and a half years. And I think that, you know, that's why a conversation like this is is so important because I think there's all these different distinctions that are necessary to be made between things that often are taken as interchangeable. So politics versus government and how, you know, a lot of the time I think it's very easy for folks to think that those go hand in hand. And that, you know, this might be getting a little ahead of ourselves in terms of our conversation, but I think a lot of it is just there are extra considerations because of how politics can inform government. But that doesn't mean that all tech in government has to be informed by politics. That's extremely well said. I do think we should scope our conversation a bit. You know, my, my hope is that we can talk more about you know, working in an established government environment, i.e. less about running a campaign and more about once you're in the building, there are so many different government agencies, organizations, divisions, levels, right? Because you've got federal, state, local, you've got uh, just affiliated non-government organizations who are trying to do work for the public sector. So let's talk about why it's hard. Because I think there's, it's not a far reach to say, there's this feeling in the digital world and the digital industry that working with government is hard. Working with government, is, you're never going to get anything done. You know, you have to go through 
you know, 14 layers of red tape. You can't ship any software. And, and I would posit that it doesn't have to be that way. But, but in your opinion, what are the challenges? Like what makes it difficult historically to get things done? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's 100% right. I think there's, there is that sort of initial belief, understanding that they're just, it's bureaucratic, that you have to get through all this red tape. And I think that to a certain extent that there are times where that's true. I think it also sometimes is just inherently you know, confusing. If you, even whether you're talking about a city as large as New York or you're dealing with a township, you know, there's always going to be that question of local versus state versus federal. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of the time what is seen or can be seen as bureaucratic red tape is actually just confusion of like who has the main stay here. Is it the New York City Board of Health? Is it the New York State Board of Health? Is it the Department of Health and Services? You know, and that causes a lot of confusion. And, you know, there are both interpersonal relationships of those entities, but I think then there's also the inherent tension and rivalry that can exist yeah, with those. Totally. But I think, you know, I think that that's one, I think, you know, fundamentally, I think that's one piece. I think fundamentally on the government side, there's also just the fact that it's not, it's, it's often been seen. And I think this is both fair in some cases and deeply unfair in others that government has to move slowly and people put it as slowly, you know, Oh, well they have to move slowly or, you know, this can be done faster in the private sector. And I think a lot of that is tied more to the fact that in government, you have to be more considerate. You know, there's a level of care that has to be put into things. Yes. You know, it's one thing if you have a, a bright, shiny new startup that's trying to disrupt, you know, health insurance and, you know, there are doing things a little bit fast and loose. It's one thing for, you know, someone trying to find a niche in a market. It's another thing when it's the New York State Health Department. Right. You know, there's different levels. And that might just even be a scale question beyond sort of a, a legal question. So I think that's another one of just sort of, you know, the impact that those kind of and you see that, you know, with the the launch of the initial launch of the Obamacare website and how that led to such confusion and distrust because it wasn't taking into account, you know, how people would actually use it and, and, and thinking about it more as a consumer product rather than, you know, a, a government website. I want to dig in on that because I think that that is a very instructive case study, right? So if we think about the rollout of healthcare.gov and the fact that you could buy health insurance policies directly from a federally sponsored or a state sponsored entity, if you qualified, there's a political question which we're not going to touch right now. And then Mm -hmm. there is a technology question. And it is fascinating to me to look back at that and to think the same kinds of problems that we see in big client environments, big enterprise environments when we go in, existed maybe even, you know, multiplied during the first Mm -hmm. approach to healthcare.gov, where they said, we need this to be a big team. We need to, you know, invest in in the infrastructure and make sure that we are building this giant thing. We need to go with a, a trusted entity. And it got caught up in this kind of snowball of having to check all the boxes and be developed against a unchanging set of requirements instead of being developed around the users. And what ended up is you had something that was 
incredibly unreliable, incredibly hard to use. It was crashing all the time and it was incredibly expensive to run because you had this big team and this expensive infrastructure because it was built, again, looking at, you know, a long requirements document instead of looking at an experience. And the way that it was fixed, and there's a there's a very, I mean, there's several actually sort of looks into uh, what happened where they assembled a team of ex-Silicon Valley people to rebuild the thing from scratch. And they took a completely different approach. They said, we're going to build a minimum viable product. We are not going to have all the features out of the gate. We're going to build it on the cloud infrastructure. They used Amazon Web Services. They focused very much on user experience and making sure that it was really easy to sign up. They, they prioritized reliability and the whole team owned the quality of the software versus throwing it over the wall to a, you know, an outsourced QA team. And the difference was night and day. They launched it in a mm-hmm. fraction of the time for a fraction of the cost. And it was a, this very stark, you know, before and after example where if you bring a heavyweight process to something that really doesn't need it, you're going to end up in a way worse position than if you bring a lean team uh, to go attack a new problem, prove something out, and then shore it up as the platform lives on. And I think that that, that exact approach could be applied to so many other areas in the public sector that it just hasn't, that it just hasn't been done yet. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And I think, you know, a lot of that stems from, you know, we see this, you know, as you said earlier, with sort of large enterprise clients that are, you know, in the private sector, where it's just you have, they're at such a massive scale, they have so many different sort of internal business units or teams, and you end up with these RFPs and, and these discussions that have way too many people involved, as opposed to sort of, you know, I think the very basic question of, you know, who, and these are product questions of like, who is it for? What's the path that they wanted, you know, to take? Why do we want them to use it? You know, why do they want to, why do we want them to want to, you know, these sort of very simple questions. And I think that that was a lesson for government and and some people have learned it. I mean, you see the founding of digital offices, the New York city mayor's office has one, the White House has one that carried from Obama through Trump. Yes. It's in yep. the Biden White House now. Like you are starting to see sort of cropping up these entities within government that are trying to bring some of those learnings and like, you know, the importance of an MVP, the importance of sort of a laser focused team, you know, the managing stakeholders in a way that is logical for what you're trying to do, not to like make sure that, you know, someone doesn't get angry at the end of the, at the end of the road. I want to pause there again, because I think that's worth a little time too. this, the stakeholder management with a government entity is a little bit different, right? And it's probably more important. I mean, it's, it's important in any scenario when you're building software, you've got to get the people who are sponsoring, so to speak, your effort to feel really good about what you're doing and, and be an advocate on their behalf. But when you're working with, when you're working with a public sector entity, you've got to think about not only who are the decision makers, but what consensus do they need to build? Who do they need to have on side? And how do you help them get people on side? And, and that's a complicated thing, right? I mean, one of the things that we always do is we say, let's default to working software. So rather than showing people PowerPoints and requirements documents, let's prototype something. 
let's have a design, a clickable prototype in Figma. Or maybe it is a uh, an alpha version that you know only has 20% of the features but shows you how the thing is starting to come together and communicate about that early and often so that people can rally around the key stakeholder that is sponsoring the effort because they see progress being made versus sitting in a meeting – you know, how many meetings have we sat in where it's like 60 people and you're running through the, you know, the PowerPoint slides and it's like, you know, okay, we're, we're on track. It's month two of the nine month discovery phase. And you're like, oh my God, when, when is this ever going to make a difference to citizens or users, you know? So showing working software is key to stakeholder management and, and building sort of broad support within these groups. And I think, you know, a point you were making to me earlier is it goes maybe even one step beyond that because you have different motivations even amongst the stakeholder groups, right? I think we overstate the differences a lot of the time, but this is one of those areas where I think government does have like certain wrinkles that doesn't don't exist immediately in the private sector. You know, an example, in the private sector, you might, you might assume that that VP or director or head of you know, or, or C-suite individual is trying to get to the next, the next tier, or they're trying to set the, right. Or they're trying to set themselves up. You know, a lot of the time in government, you have people, it being reported that they're trying to do that. You know, the way that I always sort of looked at it is that you sort of have, you know, you have electeds, you have appointees, and then you have, you know, your sort of career Mm -hmm. governmental workers. And, you know, what's tricky about that is, you know, the electeds not going to delve too much into the politics side, but they're always kind of looking like what's the, you know, you know, on the federal side, what's the next committee assignment? Is there a, a larger, am I going to go back and run on the, in the state side? Am I, you know, and that, that trickles down, you know, it's, it's, I'm a, a mayor here. Do I run for the, you know, the legislature that, you know, there's always sort of that consideration. But are you saying Tate that a software team has to kind of play that chess game on their behalf? Because I think it might be simpler than that. Thank you for, for keeping me in line. I think that the key is that it gets very easy to get plugged into that in that so? world. Well, just that you you sort of are hearing this, you know, I think right now, you know, I think there's one person who's declared for the presidency in 2024, but there's already like eight other people's names Swirling. that are floating around. Yeah. yeah. And like if you're, you know, on the Republican side, if you're in a Florida or a Virginia or in any of those places, you know, you're hearing that name pop up. What's interesting about that is that depending on where you are in the governmental hierarchy, you might be talking about your boss's 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 boss, you know, and that if you're at another publicly traded company, you're probably not hearing the same type of rumor mill or just impacts you differently than the way that it works. It's being reported on the governmental side. So I think a lot of the time that can feel very imposing, but I think to what we've been discussing before, I think it understanding the stakeholders and what they're trying to do, I think can be much simpler because fundamentally, as much as focus as there is on elected or, or, or principles, the people that matter are the constituency, They're the yeah. citizens of the state, of the municipality, wherever you're working. And I think that, you know, that's where We've seen a little bit of it, but you you know you see more of it of like sort of saying, well, what's the answer? That what can we provide them? And this is one of those areas where I think fundamentally government does an uneven job of sort of saying or displaying to constituencies what they can do for them. Like I remember this when I worked in Congress. You know, my portfolio when I worked in Congress in in local politics was mortgage modifications, 
immigration casework, healthcare issues. And people would call us and they're like, I need help with a mortgage modification. Now, I wasn't a banker. I didn't work at it. But I was a, a basically an arbiter in a way of like mm-hmm. I was someone in their corner who could send the paperwork over to the bank to basically say like, look, the congressperson is paying attention to this. Like we're involved. We couldn't sway you know, the bank to do anything. But it was a way, you know, not dissimilar from immigration casework. It was just we were a point of contact with these huge entities for our constituents. And I would explain and tell that to people. And they were like, wait, you, you know, you did what? You, well, your portfolio is what? Because people don't, you know, it's very heavy, important stuff like that. And it's, you know, you also can get like a free tour of the Capitol if you call your congressperson. I think that a lot of the time government because of that feeling that it's so big and that it's so hard and that everything has to be worked out in RFP loses sight of the like the simplistic I mean, you know going back to the yeah. the healthcare.gov of like what can we do to simplify what is a complex system without and you can simplify something without breaking the law or breaking the rules or no, anything of course. like that you can comply yeah. while also simplifying i want to tease out something in what you're saying. Hopefully people are listening to this and they and they can take away some concrete advice, right? And we've given, you know, I think MVPs are important, right? You can build the simpler version like you were just saying, and that can work. You can embrace modern technology platforms. Amazon Web Services is government certified. So like that is a, a clear example. And there are a lot of examples where you can use open source software and modern tech to accelerate what you're doing, you don't have to keep building on the COBOL platform that was there from 30 years ago because that what was there. But but mm-hmm. this this idea that stakeholder management is a little more complicated, I think you are sort of touching on a point that I think is really good, which is that the ambitions are a little bit different in public sector because it is not about maximizing revenue, right? The goal exactly. is not how do I make the most money? The goal is how do I serve my constituents to materially improve their day-to-day lives? And if I'm thinking a little selfishly, how do I show what I've been able to do, right? Whether or not I'm trying to build my political career, whether or not I have aspirations, a lot of times the success, quote unquote, in government is really what I was able to achieve. And that I think that's like a, a, it's a back door. It's a Trojan horse into how do you align stakeholders? Because as a digital team, right, as a software team, we can say, Mm -hmm. we're going to work quickly to put working software in the hands of people. And that is going to be something you, stakeholder group, can point to and say, we got something done, right? We put a working platform in front of the people of X, you know? And I think that that can be a very powerful statement versus we, you know, pumped this budget into, uh, you know, some IT line that's a row on a spreadsheet without really having much to show for it. It also is a way of thinking that kind of nullifies that political question or that political uncertainty that can be incumbent in government, which is you're trying to provide services that already exist. You know, you're not worried about like, all right, we're introducing this whole new concept. You're like, no, these exist. The, for the most part, departments yeah. exist. Yeah, 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 exactly. For the for the most part, 
to that, that's just, like, an interesting sort of quick pointer. So either you're already trying to provide the services that already exist of like, you know, we saw this, you know, recently with COVID in terms of contact tracing, that's what trying I was to get that of, off actually. the, you know, yeah. like trying to like, you know, that is in theory, that's a new thing where it's like, all right, how can we react to a crisis quickly with the data that's incumbent and the, you know, basically what we need to do to keep our citizens healthy and safe. Yes. There's the other elements of it, which are just, you know, like, can we make the DMV more efficient? Can we make other elements, you know, there, like I recently uh, officiated a wedding in New York city and it was fascinating to me of, you know, I had to fill out a, you know, had to print out a form, fill it out. I had to send them a money order. It couldn't mm. be a check. And it's these sort of things where, where I'm sitting there being like, you know, I had the cert- cert- certification <laughs> that I had gotten yeah. from the internet. Like this should be 15 minutes. Like, right. Here's my credit card. Here's the religious title that I've chosen. Like, and we're, here's your $15 and we're off to we're the races. But instead right. it was go to the Kinko store to print out the form, go to the <laughs> Western Union to get a money order, which I've yes. never done in my life go back to the Kinko store to mail it. And then the entire time sitting there being like, all right, this wedding's in two months. I hope they got it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. and I think, you know, there are elements like that where that service exists and it's a silly one, but it's just like about simplifying that. And then I think you get to beyond that. And like, this goes into sort of making it easier for the, the workers and, and the folks who are you know working at the DMV and the ways that like you can streamline this and make their lives easier. And thus also make lives easier and happier for your constituency. But mm-hmm. then I think you get to this really interesting area. And, and it's the point that I like, you know, have these sort of fever dreams about, which is how can you start having these different governmental entities and agencies, whether they're local, state or federal, start interacting with each other in a way in front of a constituent or in front of a citizen or a user that actually makes sense and is helpful. An mm-hmm. example that comes to mind is, Let's say I'm going and visiting family in Idaho and I'm going to go and get, you know, a fishing or a hunting license set up. Wouldn't it make sense that Idaho, you know, Department of Parks, that these other, the Department of Tourism have these things that are, you know, oh, okay, you're like looking to go fishing in Idaho. Doesn't it make sense to sort of say, here are some great places to go fishing. Here are some other attractions within our state. Oh, Doesn't I see it what you're drawing for, Like the federal government to say like, hey, these are some national parks you can't fish in them, but maybe you'd have an interest. You're preparing to do an outdoor activity. Maybe you'd be interested in them. Like there are these interactions that I think, you know, and this is a little bit of a self-reflection that I think government has to do, but you know, what are the ways that constituencies don't expect to be served that could be served beyond the, like, you know, making things easier, which like, look, even just the table stakes of making things easier would be huge. So, to me, my honest reaction is it feels like you're like four steps ahead <laughs> because I actually <laughs> think that just focusing on something like you were talking about before, which is pure what I will call efficiency gain, right? There is massive opportunity there. And part of the problem is the, the incentives are not always aligned, meaning you've got an apparatus that is set up and people learn how the machine works. And mm-hmm. in some cases, I mean that literally, like, you know, they they learn the interface that's in front of them. And it is very difficult to start to change how it works from a personnel perspective, from a training perspective. Like, these are the things that you have to really take 
care with when you are mm-hmm. thinking about introducing a a revolution. I mean, I mean that in a lowercase r kind of way, right? A <laughs> like a, a right. brand new way of working versus just an incremental improvement over what's there. And I think that it seems off the table because it's too hard. But I think what we are here to say is it's that's not off the table. You just have to be considerate of it, right? You have to understand that part of the job is not just whipping up a new interface using the latest and greatest tooling. Part of the job is sitting with the users, understanding what they do today, and figuring out a, I don't know, a transition plan or a, you know, a, a training period or an overlap where you can get people comfortable with the fact that it's going to take them, you know, 15 minutes to do something that took them three hours before. And my limited experience is that sometimes vendors, this is where vendors fall on their face because they think, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can just, as long as I'm checking all the boxes for this new thing, like we're, we'll be good to go. And they don't think about this actually has to get in front of real people. And you've got government workers who have, and they're incredible civil servants, right? They've spent Mm -hmm. 20, 25, 30 years, maybe more doing a particular job to serve their co-citizens, you know? And what I think we, we try to do and the best digital agencies try to do is they really internalize that. And they say, user education and user adoption is part of this journey, right? And if we're thinking in a product-oriented and a platform-oriented way, we've got to make sure that we're thinking about how we get the users to use this new thing and not just foisting it on people. Do you know what I mean? No, I think that's 100%. I mean, it, it goes to, I think, a fundamental question that sort of wildly isn't asked enough, which is why? You, you exactly. Know, why are we doing this? Why does this exist? I think this is actually something that, government workers are actually quite good at is asking the why, you know, and this is, look, I think this is partially why this is a fruitful conversation, but as we started it, you know, it, there is this kind of preconceived notion that government is hard and and that it takes too long. And I think, you know, a fair amount of that stems from there've been a lot of different instances where, you know, someone comes in and says, Oh, this is, I've got the solution, but that solution isn't, taking into account the experience of the government workers isn't taking into account the consistencies that they're trying to work for or or what they're trying to accomplish. And so it ends up kind of being a a boondoggle as opposed to, you know, and this is what we were talking about earlier, like the importance of MVPs, the importance of start small, asking these start small, but also the importance of iteration. It's funny because it's sort of inherent in government, this idea of pilot programs. That's a a, a well-known concept. Yes. And it's wild because it doesn't seem to be applied to this kind of work a lot. Right. It, that needs to, it needs to translate to digital. You're exactly right. And, and the funny thing with pilot programs is more often than not, the way that they're discussed is we're going to do a pilot program and it either doesn't work and then it, you know, it, it can be used as a political football, which, or it does work and it's like, great, how do we do this everywhere tomorrow or yesterday? And I think this goes to sort of some of the concepts we were talking about from what we see in terms of like, you know, again, starting small iteration, but then doing those things with a consideration, not a focus, but a consideration to scalability. 100%. And I think that's where, you know, 
I think you can in the in the past and, and you know still currently sort of run into these sort of problems where if you are doing something small, there hasn't been a thought to how where does it's this, going. Yeah, how does this like you know one of the things that I always have said. There's this sort of maybe trite thing from product of like, you know, it's a, it, you start with a bicycle, goes to a scooter, goes to a motorcycle, goes to a car. And like, that's how you, you, that's one way of thinking about product development. And what I've always sort of said, whenever I'm talking to product folks, the way I always approached it was, I'd start with a, a scooter. I have three or four different ideas of what a bike of the motorcycle or car thing could look like. They might not be where we go or end up. Right. But having that level of awareness was enough to sort of give me a little bit of peace of mind of like, I'm not just putting all of my eggs into one basket here. I have a rough sense of the spectrum of where this could go. And I think that that's something like, you know, what I was sort of saying earlier, like, wouldn't it be great if you're getting a hunting license and it's keyed into the Department of, of Tourism? You know, those are ideas and thoughts that people in government think about and, and, and are dealing with because more often than not, they know the other people in their departments, like they're aware of each other. Like the funny thing about governance as a whole and governments as a whole, rather, is that more often than not, the sinews of it are the people that we don't talk about. Congress is run, sure, by the speaker and by the, the you know, congressional folks and all that, but it's congressional staff, you know, folks who have like been there, you know, same thing with, with state agencies and departments and all that. And I think that a lot of the time there are those inherent connections and all we're sort of thinking about and talking about is, you know, taking advantage of those and then sort of trying to make sure that they're not reliant on a single person or a single interpersonal relationship or all that, but thinking through how can you take some of that knowledge, some of that awareness and turning it into something that a constituent, you know, you don't, you're not just lucky that you ended up talking to the right congressional staff member that you're not talking to the you know right person at the department of health well the the software should help you right. you know a digital platform should help you navigate you know so that if you don't have these personal connections you can land in the right place I, I feel like this is this is a good place to close it. Uh, you know, there's so much more that could be talked about with this stuff, but we've touched on a few of the key things, right? We we embrace the a modern way of working, start small, ship a minimum viable product and iterate, use the cloud, use AWS, customer experience matters. And that's whether you're talking about the citizens or whether you're talking about government workers who are trying to do their best. And they, you know, in my experience largely are really wonderful people just mm -hmm. doing a really critical work uh, for all of us. And above all, you don't have to go slow. You don't have to internalize the bureaucracy around you. You can work within it and figure out ways to um, align your project team's motivations with the motivations of your stakeholders. So we hope this was helpful. Tate, thank you for coming on talking about this. Uh, we love public sector work. And if you're listening to this and you're like, you know, I've got a project like this and I would love to talk to these people about how we could bring some of this thinking to my group, please reach out. Hello at postsite.com. Me, Tate and the team, we love getting those kinds of emails and we would love to talk to you uh, and hear about your situation and figure out how we can maybe make it better. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, we will talk to you all soon. Bye.